Amen. Amen. I want to thank our worship team. Thank you all for uh, being faithful and, and diligent in serving the Lord this way. What a blessing it is. You know, this morning we witnessed um, some baptisms. And, um, you know, it's interesting to me, you know, Nakota uh, Hancock, uh, he's seven years old. I made a profession of faith when I was seven years old. And I was baptized into uh, First Baptist Church of Bolivar, Missouri. And you know, it's interesting because we never know what God is going to do through someone's life. We never know what we are going to become in Him. And so I just am excited for uh, Nakota, for his family, for, you know, what God is going to do in this young man's life, for Nick, for, for Robert, uh, for Brooke, for each one of them. And um, just don't despise small beginnings because you never know what God is going to do in that person's life. But this morning, I want to uh, speak on baptism a little bit. And, um, you know, we spend a lot of time... Um, Delving into and talking about discussing our curiosities about Scripture and about God and, and you know, things that, that might be unanswerable, things that it, they're just curious, they're kind of obscure, and we talk about those. But um, this morning, um, I want you to understand that this is not a new teaching. It may be new to some of you, but it's not a new teaching. It's always been here, written on the pages of Scripture. And we don't talk about it much these days, because as a people, we don't necessarily like hearing about our sin. We don't like hearing about hell and God's wrath and things like that, even judgment. It's not politically correct in our current society to talk about these things. But I believe that after listening to what I have to say this morning, that you will look at baptism a little differently. And hopefully you'll have a deeper appreciation for baptism, especially your own baptism. You know, the wonderful hymn, Rock of Ages, it talks in there and, and, and asks Jesus to be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. See, it isn't enough just to be delivered from the, the penalty of sin. We also need to be delivered from the power of sin. And when we consider baptism, we often neglect half of this double cure. We talk about being washed free, you know, washed, cleansed from our sin, but we don't talk about being saved from the wrath of God. And, and I, I want to point out that this morning. You know, Ray Stedman uh, has an intriguing description of sin, and, and he, he talks about it as self-centeredness. And its companions come with a sense of, of guilt and of fear. And he begins by asking, well, what is sin? And, and basically, sin is basically and fundamentally self-centeredness. I mean, that's all. 
I mean, we, we commit sins because we're thinking of ourselves. We're loving ourselves. We're indulging ourselves. We're looking out for ourselves. We're taking care that no one else gets ahead of us. And that's the essence of sin, self-centeredness. See, we're all victims to it. Each and every one of us struggles with this area in our life, and, and we find ourselves trapped in it constantly. That is the curse which hangs over all of humanity. We struggle to get away from our self-centeredness. But see, we were made, we were made by God to be vessels, to convey his outgoing love, to reach out to everyone around us, and somehow that has become twisted, and so now instead of reaching out, we reach in and we love ourselves first. And sin always produces guilt. Guilt is dislike for ourselves. You know, it, it, it's, we don't like the fact that we hurt others and, and we know that we do and we feel responsible because we see the damage in other people's lives that our own self-centeredness has caused. And we feel guilty about it. We learn to hate ourselves to a considerable degree and that's why psychologists say that the great problem with humanity wrestles with is self-hatred. Carl Menninger wrote a book, Man Against Himself, in which he documents this is what we do. We hate ourselves, we don't like ourselves, we lose our self-respect and that is guilt. And guilt is always accompanied by fear. Because fear is self-distrust. Fear is feeling unable to handle life anymore. Being aware that there are forces and powers that are beyond our control, which eventually are going to confront us. And we're not able to handle them, and so we run from them. You know, even in the Garden of Eden, you think about Adam and Eve, and as soon as, as they sinned, they felt guilty, and they hid from God in fear. It's been the history of people ever since. Fear brings up that uncertainty about the future, and we become fearful people, timid people, afraid of what will happen next. We're all sort of like walking around on eggshells, all the time, afraid of being accepted or rejected by other people, afraid of what people will do to us, and especially, and finally, afraid of what God is going to do to us. See, that is the inner torment, the like of which there is no equal, because we, we, we play it up in our mind. We, we're all about this. But you know, when I'm talking about baptism, most people in church today understand baptism, and I want to say correctly, that it is to be symbolic of our purification from sin. We, we, we say it in these terms, it is a picture of what has already happened in our heart. We've identified with Christ, we're, we're, we die with him, to, we die to self, we're buried with him, and then we're raised up to walk in a new life. 
But sometimes we neglect the second truth, that baptism is also a symbol of the wrath of God that Jesus came through on our behalf. Through his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, I'm, I do have a text, and so I want you to open your scripture up if you, if you are able with your phone or your, your Bible, and open it up to 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. And here we have an older, wiser Peter. He walked with Jesus. He's seen a lot of things, and he's conveying this uh, to churches, and he's wanting to let them know exactly uh, what they need to, to, to take home with them today. And so when, when we talk about Peter, he's older, he's wiser, he's walked with Christ. And, and I, I want to read this passage. It's uh, verse 18. It says this in 1 Peter uh, 3, 18 and following. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he, Christ, might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. Who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah, during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. Lord, we thank you for this time and we thank you for the truth, the veracity of your word, and we ask God that you would continue just to show yourself mighty in each one of our lives. And Father, that the Lord Jesus would be elevated for your glory, Father. And God, that your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of our hearts. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to give you a, a quick brief history of, of some things that are found in the Bible. And I'll give you the scriptures. But I, what I want you to notice is that water is the, the symbolic element of wrath in Scripture after the fall. In the creation account, going all the way back to Genesis 1, verse 2, the Spirit of God, it says, was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And Scripture tells us that everything was formed out of water. If you flip over a couple of pages in 1 Peter to 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 5. It says, for when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, 
the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Okay? So you have this creative element and, and everything was formed out of the water. And, and, and I love this because all scripture is profitable. We, we understand that we can learn from all scripture. Scripture tells us that everything was formed out of water and after the fall, water shifted from being a creative element to becoming an element of wrath and chaos and destruction. You remember in Genesis 6 and 7, God destroyed the earth with water. 2 Peter 3, 6 tells us this. Through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. So the sea became this this chaos. It became this the, the, the home of what I want to call the twisting serpent out of Isaiah 27, 1. In there, it talks about Le- Leviathan. It says, in that day... The Lord will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, with his fierce and great and mighty sword. Even Leviathan, the twisted serpent, he will kill the dragon who lives in the sea. Then you remember in Revelation chapter 13, it talks about the beast coming up out of the sea. Revelation 13. And then in Revelation 21, I love this. Revelation 21, verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. He's basically taking that out of the equation for those who are redeemed. All of these scriptures, and there's many, many more, point to the concept that after the fall, water became a chaotic element of wrath and judgment. (laughs) But understand that Jesus, Jesus is the one who saves us from wrath. Jesus is the one that saves us from God's wrath. I mean, there's three historic accounts out of Scripture that help us to understand how baptism relates to our union with Christ as he has secured a safe passage through God's wrath wrath to new life for us. And I I love this because he, he, he secures this passage safely through his wrath. In 1 Peter 1, verse 10 and 11, it says this. It says, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. See, Peter says that the Spirit of Christ was speaking in and through the prophets of the Old Testament. 
that the Spirit of Christ was speaking in and through them. This suggests that Peter could readily have believed that the Spirit of Christ was speaking through Noah as well. Then in 2 Peter 2, verse 5, notice that Peter calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. Verse 5 and uh, verse 4 and 5. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness, reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And, and, and I, I, I say that because Peter calls him a preacher of righteousness, Noah. We know Jesus as the son of righteousness. And, and the words there that he uses, the noun, corrux, is the same as the root word that he preached um, in, in 1 Peter 3.19, which says, in which he also went and made proclamation, he preached to the spirits now in prison. So it seems likely that when Christ preached to the spirits in prison, he did so through Noah in the days before the flood. The people to whom Christ preached through Noah were unbelievers on the earth at the time of Noah. But Peter calls them spirits in prison because they are now in the prison of hell even though they were not spirits but they were actually people when the preaching was done. Verse 19 the NASB, uh, New American Standard, says Christ preached to the spirits now in prison. And you know, the English language is definitely quite a wonder because as we think about English and, and, and how this is written, and it, it, it can sometimes speak uh, the same way in English. I mean, I could say something like this. I knew Travis Teague when he was a college student or even when he was single before he got married. And it is an appropriate statement even though he was not the weatherman and even though he was not married to Lily when he was in college. But the sentence means, I knew the man who is now Lily Teague's husband, who is now the weatherman with the AccuWeather when he was still a student in college. And that's really what Peter is saying here about Christ preaching to those who were lost in Noah's day. He's saying, I, you know, Peter is saying Christ preached to them and now they are in prison because they rejected the, the, the gospel message. So Christ made proclamation, preached to the spirits. Now in prison means Christ preached to people who were spirits in prison when they were still people here on this earth. See, our, our first historical account here of how baptism relates to our union with Christ is as he secured a passage safely through God's wrath to new life in him. And, and our person, our account here is Noah. 
Noah. Peter talks about that. You can read about it in Genesis 6 and 7. But in 1 Peter 3, uh, which is our passage, uh, verse 20 and 21, it says, Who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting. Can you imagine that? Patience of God. Patience is like a fuse, a long fuse. But once the fuse is gone, the bomb goes off. When the patience of God kept waiting and waiting and waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, Peter teaches this to us. The floodwaters of God's judgment rained down and it wiped out all the inhabitants of the earth except for Noah and his family. They were able to come safely through the judgment, the wrath of God. And Peter teaches us that this is symbolic for our union with Christ, that we too come through God's judgment safely, but only by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, we undergo God's judgment, but we are safely brought through, just like Noah through the flood, since we are now hidden in Christ. He was hidden in the ark. And God brought him through that judgment safely. We are hidden in Christ and God brings us through his wrath and judgment safely. Because we are in Christ. Make no mistake about it. Only those who were in the ark were saved. Only those who had a sense, in a sense, identified with the ark were saved. See, Peter goes on and he makes the analogy with baptism, but it's not like a ritual baptism uh, that was practiced in Peter's day. Evidently, archaeologists have found houses that possess baptismal chambers that the rich owners would use for daily purification. And the baptism Peter is talking about is not this daily cleansing. It's not taking a bath. It's not going into the shower, but that which gives a clean conscience which one is identified by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ's death through his resurrection. Now, only then can we have a good conscience. And this truth of identification with Christ would encourage the believers who might be called to suffer or even die for the sake of righteousness. No matter how bad it gets, you will be saved from God's wrath when it comes. That's what our baptism shows. We are passed through the waters. We are saved. After all, why should they now fear man? What could man do to them? They could not be killed because they had already died with Christ and now had everlasting life. 
So Peter's reference here to Noah, baptism and a good conscience is to encourage them and us about who we are in Christ. No matter what fiery trials might come our way. And brothers and sisters, there are fiery trials coming our way. This is meant to encourage And to show the completeness of this victory over present sufferings, Peter adds verse 22. He's talking about Jesus Christ who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. He has been given a name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I just want to encourage you with this, that folks, you are, you are on the winning team. That should give you some, some umph. That should give you some joy. You're on the winning team. Keep a good conscience before God. Live the way you're supposed to live by doing what is right. And that's what he's saying. In verse 21, he says that baptism now saves us. And and that sounds like that the water has a saving effect in and of itself apart from faith. And you know, some denominations have taken this verse and they've made it a proof text for regeneration by baptism. In other words, being saved by being baptized. But the truth is, is that we are saved because of our connection with Jesus Christ, not because we are baptized. That baptism is proof that we belong to him. It shows everyone that, but it says even more. See, Peter knew that that, that this sounded that way, and, and, and context means so much, especially for accurate interpretation. And Peter knows what it sounds like, so he adds immediately, in verse 21, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. So he's saying, not that baptism saves you because it it makes you clean, but it it gives you a clean conscience before God. And, and, And in keeping that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the point seems to be this, that when I speak of baptism saving, this is what Peter is saying, I don't mean that the water immersing the body and cleansing the flesh is of any effect. But what I mean is, insofar as baptism is, it is an appeal to God for a good conscience. And in that, it saves. Now, that's, that's one, uh, one example is Noah. Um, switching gears here, you know, the, the Apostle Paul has similarly used baptism as a point of union with Christ. In, in Romans 6, Uh, Verse 4 and following, he says, Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. 
Knowing this, that by our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. I mean, what a great passage of scripture. I love that. You know, it's, it's, it's huge because the key is that in, in going back to first Peter, first Peter one, three says this, it says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The key is this. The key is this. It is being joined to Jesus that saves us. It is belonging to him. The key question is, do you know Jesus and does he know you? I mean, being, being connected and joined to him is, is what saves us. Without Jesus, without the resurrection, Baptism would be useless. See, for Paul, salvation is a relationship. Baptism in Christianity, just like wedding, just like a wedding in a marriage, it's simply the way of entering into that relationship. Salvation is that for us with Christ. We enter into that relationship. See, Paul is saying in Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who appeals to the Lord, everyone who calls on his name. And Paul does not mean that faith alone fails to save. He means that faith calls on God. Faith calls on God. We need to write that down. Faith calls on God. Because that's what faith does. When we put our trust and faith in God, we call on God. And folks, that is faith. That is our faith. So what about baptism? What is baptism? I want to say baptism is calling on God. It's an appeal to God either in the form of repentance or in the form of commitment. It is a way of saying to God with our whole body, I trust you to take me into Christ. Like Noah was taken into the ark and to make Jesus the substitute for my sins and to bring me through these waters of death and judgment into a new and everlasting life through the resurrection of Jesus my Lord. That's the statement that we are making when we are being baptized. Quickly, I want, to, I want to give you two more examples of Scripture. One is the, the children of Israel in Exodus 14. I'll be brief about these. Paul gives us another historic reference, and it's in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1 and 2. Paul writes this, he says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers... We're all under the cloud and all pass through the sea. 
and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. Paul talks about baptism. Again, God's judgment comes through the water in Exodus 14. You remember the story. The Egyptians, they were seeking to to grab the Israelites and put them back into bondage, put them back into captivity despite God's miracles and God's wonders. And God held back the waters of his judgment for his chosen people, Israel. But when the evil ones pursued, when they came after the Israelites, God released the full force of his wrath, drowning the Egyptian army. And you see this happening. Paul speaks of the Israelites' Red Sea experience as a baptism. He says they were all baptized into Moses. They were all safely brought through the judgment of God. And in the same way, in Jesus' death and his burial and resurrection, he has become God's chosen one. And in him, we too can pass safely through God's judgment as his chosen people. Folk, that's what being baptized is all about. Symbolizing the incredible act of Christ, proclaiming our union with him, that we belong to him and our, our dependence on him to escape God's wrath. You see the picture? He's delivering his people from God's wrath. Let's talk about Jonah, the third one. Noah, Israel, Jonah. We find this in the book of Jonah, uh, chapter 1 and 2. But Jesus speaks about it in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, 39 excuse me, and 40. He said, but he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man, Jesus speaking, the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You remember the story of Jonah, how he uh, was, was called by God and he, he chose or basically attempted to run away from God and not do what God was asking him to do. And, and he and his <laughs> seafaring mates uh, experienced God's fury through the sea, through the water. And a great storm threatened to drown everyone and ultimately Jonah had to be thrown overboard uh, to appease God's wrath. And he was swallowed whole by a great fish, and for three days he was underwater, encased in the fish's stomach, as if it were, as if he were boxed in a casket. You know, with with the smells, the darkness, the confinement, all of the uh, symbolizing death. <laughs> but after three days, he was spit up on dry land, safely rescued from the wrath of God. Folks, this is the sign Jesus said that he would fulfill in this passage in Matthew. 
He fulfilled this sign as he suffered God's wrath. As he was there on the cross dying, as he was buried, he he underwent judgment for our sins on the cross. Facing God's wrath, he was encased in death for three days. He was raised from the grave and vindicated as the chosen one of God to bring his people through the wrath of God. So I ask you this question as I wrap up. I'm going to go ahead and invite our worship team to come up. See, our baptism, our physical baptism reflects this amazing reality of God. See, God is brokenhearted. And he's angry because of the effects of sin on his creation. Only Jesus can secure our way safely through his wrath and restore us to a right relationship with God. And my question is this. Have you put your trust completely in Jesus to save you from God's wrath? I guarantee that we don't want to see God's wrath. Oh, we've seen tornadoes. We've seen wildfires. We've seen floods. We've seen hurricanes. We've seen all kinds of acts of God. Hailstorms. We don't want to see God's wrath. And if you don't know Jesus, then you will not safely pass through God's wrath. Have you put your trust completely in Him to save you from God's wrath? And if so, have you been baptized? See, Jesus commands it in Matthew 28, and for good reason. Throughout history, God has given us many examples of God making a way for his people to come safely through his wrath. But these ultimately all point to Jesus. That's why we're commanded to physically go through the waters of baptism. Because it points to Jesus. It points to him. Let me give you just a little bit of southern fried truth here. The best and only way to face Christ as your judge is to know him as your savior. It's the only way. But it's also the best way. And since Jesus offers to save you from wrath, to purify your sin and to restore you to God, why would you reject Jesus as your Savior and Lord? It doesn't make any sense to me. We have the truth of his word. We see it. We read it. We can know it. And yet, ah, he's going to wink at my sin. It's not that bad. God winks at no one's sin. He has made a way, and if you refuse the way, there is no other way. Why would you reject Jesus as your Lord and Savior 
And if he commands you to display an outward sign of this salvation by being baptized, why would you wait? Why would you say it's not for me? I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to close this out. But hopefully I've given you something to think about and to act upon. Would you do that this morning? If you want to come for baptism, you come for baptism. If you want to come to receive Christ, come to receive Christ. Maybe you're just not where you need to be and you need to to come clean with him. And you want to come and pray, you come and pray. Whatever it is that God is dealing with you on today, do it now. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for baptism and how it shows what has happened on the inside, but it also shows what's going to happen.